Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11 this morning. I hope you've enjoyed the singing. I hope you've enjoyed the fellowship. I hope you've enjoyed not finding a parking spot on the way in this morning. At this point, though, we want you to just enjoy the preaching of the Word of God. We want to be helped this morning. I know we came for music. We've come for fellowship and lunch and just uh, activities of today. But the most important thing we can do is right now we can open the Word of God and we can ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us in a size of a tent with this many people. Everyone needs something different. And I'm so glad the Holy Spirit can meet your individual need with one message. He can come into your life if you're not saved. He can save you. The Lord died on the cross so that you could have everlasting life. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you and wants to save you if you don't know him as your Savior this morning. If you are a child of God, he wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. And so really this morning, every single person here, there's something for you this morning over these next few moments. We come to Mark chapter number 11. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. This past October, my wife and I were privileged to take a group of people to Israel, and it was my first time to Israel. And as I read through the Gospels now, I visually, I see this location. As I'm reading through the gospel, I can picture where Jesus is coming through and the the, uh, streets and the gates and the temple mount area. And it just brings the Bible out. And I I love reading now the gospels and picturing that location. As we were in Jerusalem and we came to this this place where Jesus is going to come in chapter number 11. He's going to, he's going to enter Jerusalem. He's going to go into the temple area. He is going to uh, rebuke the uh, money changers and uh, uh, those that are selling merchandise. So get that table of, of uh, CDs out the back of that tent there. Now we're in the tent, so it's okay this morning. Um, but I saw that corner there and I thought, oh, what a great message to preach on this morning as we're selling stuff in the tent. So I think the Ball Brothers should just give it away so we're not going to exchange money. How many of you think so on that, huh? I mean, I want them to be biblical this morning, right? No changing of... Let's move on. Jesus is coming. I want you to see in verse number 11, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and in the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany, with the 12, the 12 disciples. Now on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, And his disciples heard it. And I want you to just think about this thought. Jesus is coming from Bethany. He's going to head back into Jerusalem. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree. He sees this fig tree, and this fig tree has leaves on it. From a distance, this fig tree looks like it's going to have figs. 
It looks good from the outside. It looks good enough to, to go and, and quench this hunger that he has. And so when he comes to this fig tree, even though the fig tree looked like it had figs from a distance, even though it was green, even though it looked healthy, when he came onto this fig tree and he needed his hunger quenched, the fig tree couldn't help him. Jesus, then he curses that fig tree. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. And the disciples are thinking, what was that all about? I don't know what kind of tone Jesus said it in. I don't know, uh, you know, if he was angry or if he was just simply speaking to this fig tree. You know, from here, uh, here to no one's going to eat fruit from this tree any longer. But all I know is the Bible made it a point to tell us this story and that the disciples heard it. I want you to go back uh, ahead with me to verse number 20. So the events happen. He goes into the money changers and he, and he throws them out of the temple. He flips the tables. And, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So the next day, Jesus and the disciples pass by this fig tree again. And when the disciples now come by this fig tree, they see this fig tree has changed. It's not able to even, it doesn't look healthy any longer. The leaves are dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. Peter remembered, remember in verse number 12 or so, or, or, or uh, 13, one of those, uh, 14, I think it was, and the disciples heard it. The Bible says that Peter remembered the events of that day and said, Lord, remember that, that fig tree? You cursed it? It's gone. It withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. When I read this passage of scripture, Jesus is teaching them something. Jesus doesn't waste time in teaching his disciples. He's not just saying some vain words. He's not just angry at a fig tree because it didn't have figs. Everything Jesus did, he was doing to teach his disciples something. He was teaching them. The Bible made it a point to show us the disciples heard him say it. They come back the following day, and Peter notices here the the, uh, fig tree is withered up, and, and he says, Lord, remember that? You cursed it, and look at it now. And instead of Jesus answering Peter, He says this, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that that ye receive them and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. For the next few moments, I want you to pay really close attention. I've got something on my heart I want to share with you. Something I believe that can help each and every one of us here today. Jesus is teaching his disciples something about this fig tree. When Peter asks a question, he doesn't go and even answer Peter's question about the fig tree. He makes a statement. He says this, have faith in God. You know, I believe this, that fig tree can represent so many things. 
I believe this one thing that fig tree can represent is religion. Works, man-made, the law. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something. He's coming in and he's going to teach his disciples and he's going to teach uh, 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 the Jews that, that it's not the law that saves, it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves a person. It's faith in the, the Son of God. It's believing that, that Jesus left heaven and born of a virgin and, and, and came to this world and, and died upon the cross and shed his blood so that the forgiveness for all mankind. Why? Because God desires for all mankind to be reconciled to him. Jesus is teaching them it's about faith. He said, have faith in God. You know, that fig tree can represent religion. A lot of people look at religion, and from the outside, it looks good. From the outside, it looks healthy. But you know what? When you experience religion, you walk away empty because only Jesus Christ can satisfy. Only Jesus Christ can fill you. Nothing man-made can fill you. Works can't fill you. Uh, Baptism can't fill you. Obeying the law can't fill you. All of those things will leave a person empty. The only thing that can feed a hungry soul is Jesus Christ. He's teaching the disciples something. He doesn't answer this question, and he has this statement, have faith in God. He turns the disciples' attention to faith. He speaks of this mountain. He says to the disciples, have faith in God. And then, he, and then he goes on and says this, if you have this faith, you can remove this mountain. For verily I say unto you in verse 23, that whatsoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now, we don't, we're not sure. And, and, and if you were to study no one really knows, and some have guessed at what this mountain would be, but no one really knows the exact location and even what mountain Jesus was referring to here. But the reality, again, is this. There is a mountain in all of our lives. There is a mountain in the lives of the people here of this day in Jerusalem. There is a mountain in the lives of the disciples, and there is a mountain in the lives of each of us today. You know what that mountain could be? Unbelief. This mountain of unbelief. He says this, if you believe, if you'll have faith in God, whatsoever you say unto this mountain, it will be removed. You know, I thought this morning as I was in my office praying, every single person here today, there's a mountain for everyone here. Everyone's dealing with something today. How many of you would say there's a mountain in your life today? All over the room, there's mountains. Everyone's mountain is different. You need to have faith in God. You need to trust what God's word says. Have faith in God. The only thing that hindered Jesus in his earthly ministry was unbelief. The Bible tells us that he was gone into his home and, and, and there at his hometown, he, he could have done many miracles. He could have been seen in a great way. Many people's heartache could have been taken away. Many people's health issues could have been healed. Many of those who were possessed with devils could have been cured of that possession. But God was wanting to do a great work there and through Jesus, but Jesus wasn't able to do what was needed to be done because of unbelief. They didn't believe. 
He could have done miracles in his hometown, but they didn't believe. Unbelief has ruined whole generations. I think of the Old Testament the, the uh, uh, Israelites are, are, are in the wilderness and they saw God miraculously bring them out of Egypt. And, and God says there's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's the promised land, a place of Jericho where I want to I send you to. And you don't have to fight and you don't have to war. and You don't have to cross over those, those uh, uh, high walls. I'll take care of every single need. I just need you to believe. And a whole generation... A whole generation stayed in the wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief. This mountain of unbelief. Jesus said, if you have faith in God, this mountain could be removed. I think of the man, Zacharias. He is the one, he's working in the temple. He was a, a godly man. He was told that he was going to have a son named John the Baptist. How many of you remember that story? The angel Gabriel came and says, you're going to have a son. And he didn't believe that. And what did God have to do? God didn't, God didn't just wink at it. He took it serious. And he said to Zacharias, your tongue isn't going to work. You're not going to be able to speak because you doubt me. I think of a man named Abraham who's told that he's going to have a son, Isaac. He's going to be the father of a great nation. And Sarah, standing in that tent door, laughs and mocks God, that that spirit of unbelief. I think of the story of Eve. Probably the most disastrous story of unbelief. Eve, Eve is tempted by Satan. Satan says to Eve, do you really believe God? Do you believe what he says? And at that moment, instead of Eve saying, I have faith in God and I have faith in his word and, and I might not understand it all, but I believe that God is worthy. She takes of that fruit and she eats of that fruit. Unbelief. You see, the mountains that we face many a times is this mountain of unbelief. There's many here today that are praying for something and you're wondering why God just doesn't answer this prayer. There's many today that's going through circumstances in your life and you're wondering, why does God allow this circumstance to happen? I want you to know something today. I believe that unbelief, it hurts the heart of God. When we doubt what God says is true, it hurts the heart of God. Because here is a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God that wants to show love and compassion to his children, that wants to answer your prayers, that wants to see you, uh, uh, him working in your life, who, who wants you to bring glory and honor to him. And unbelief, I believe, hurts the heart of God. Listen, so often it's easy to serve God when everything goes well. Boy, if you woke up this morning and, 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 and you, you uh, uh, were healthy and your family was healthy, if you woke up in a, in a home that you were able to pay the mortgage on this, this month or the rent was paid and you drove to church and, and there was a, a vehicle that had gas in it and you came here and, and you, you could speak and you could walk and you could fellowship and work tomorrow when it seems like everything's going well, it's easy to have faith in God when everything is going the way we want it to go. But Jesus here is saying to his disciples, have faith in God even when, even when things in crises are in your life. Unbelief is selfish. 
Unbelief only thinks of itself. It only thinks of me. I'm not liking the situation I'm finding myself in. I'm not liking the, the uh, uh, situation that God's allowing. But Jesus says to his disciples, have faith in God. Jesus reached out and when Peter began to sink, Remember Peter on the water, he wants to walk out to Jesus and he walks out on that water and just takes a step and begins to sink. And Jesus grabs Peter by the arm. He reminds Peter that faith is what's necessary. I want to remind each person here today, faith is necessary in the life of a Christian. Not, not just when things go well, we worship God and we praise God. I'm talking about in the valley when things aren't well, we still have faith in God. I'm talking about when life isn't exactly the way we had it planned, that we still have faith in God. I'm talking about when the doctor says it's cancer, we still have faith in God. I'm talking about when, when, when the employer says there's no job, we still have faith in God. I'm talking about when we hit a crisis in our life, we need to learn that in those crises, we need to have faith in God. I know many that are good, godly Christians. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord. They give. And then a crisis comes and they fall apart. They fall apart. We need to have faith in God. There's a video we played at church a couple weeks ago, and I don't even know if George is here or Stephanie. I'm sure they are. We played a video of Suzanne several weeks ago. We played it at her funeral and then played it in church. And I thought about her during this, preparing this message. I thought about her faith. I thought about the times that I'd go to her house or visit her at the hospital or, or, or send a text or, 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 or call on the phone thinking that I was going to encourage her. And you know what she would end up doing encouraging me? Her faith didn't waver. Oh, she was asking God to heal her. Oh, she was asking God to take away that cancer. She was, she was begging God to, to prove the doctors wrong, but she still had faith in God. She never doubted her, God's love for her. She never doubted God's care for her. There was a huge mountain in her life, but not one time did I ever visit her and, and I sensed the spirit of unbelief. Constantly she had that spirit of having faith in God. Even to the last moment when she realized it would take a miracle. It would take God just literally uh, touching from heaven and curing this cancer when she uh, could barely walk, when she could barely eat, when she could barely uh, uh, just function. She'd lay there in pain and lay there in her home. And, and knowing that death was eminent, eminent, she knew that she continued to have faith in God. There was a great mountain in her life. She still believed in salvation. She still believed in everlasting life. She never lost her faith. What mountain do you have today? What mountain do you have? What is your unbelief? 
is there something that you need and you're not trusting the Lord for? You see, the hardest part of faith is the last half hour. Do you ever get to a place where you think it's the final moment? God, are you there? Are you, are you going to see this thing through? Like God is, is confined to time? I mean, the God that created time, the God that created this universe, he's not confined by time. The hardest part of faith is the last half hour. Because it's in the last half hour that fear and panic steps in. And maybe there's someone here this morning and and you're at that last half hour and you're wondering, God, are you going to come through in this situation? God, are you going to fulfill in this situation? God, are you going to meet this need? I want you to know something today. The answer that Jesus has for you is have faith in God. Trust him today. Unbelief hinders everything. It hinders everything. It hinders ministry. It hinders marriages. It hinders everything in life, unbelief. I believe that God has great plans and wants to do great things with this church. I believe that God has great plans and wants to do wonderful things for his glory in your life. I believe that. But so often, unbelief hinders everything. You get into it thick, and you get into it deep, and you you start to question, God, can you do this? There are some things, things I'm praying for for our church and some things in my own personal life, I'm asking the Lord to do. And and last night was one of those nights I, I sat there in bed. I tried to get to bed early. How many of you get to bed early on Saturday? I'm not talking midnight early. I'm talking like 8 o'clock early. Yeah, I'm like old man early. Yeah. No offense to the old men in the room. I'm in bed with you. Don't worry about it. I was there, 8 o'clock. I'm laying in bed. It isn't amazing how fear can sweep over you. I said, Lord, what if no one shows up tomorrow? Lord, what if the weathermen are wrong? They've been wrong before once or twice. What if we wake up and this monsoon hits Monclova? You laugh. This is what I'm feeling. Lord, what if, what if something happens and somebody gets offended? What if, what if somebody comes and there's no place in the parking lot? What if, what if the, the barbecue gets burned? I mean, you, you know, that'd be terrible. What if the ice cream truck breaks down? God help us. We're going to have a riot. Now I'm going to run down to Freeze Daddy and start getting everyone ice cream cones. Fear sets in. Lord, what if I preach and nobody listens? What if I preach and it's a flop? What if, what if we open the word of God and, 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 and I do it in my own flesh? I'm telling you, fear sets in.
You look at the battles in your life and you look at the battles that we're facing and Satan says, you can't do this, just give up. We all face this. Marriage is hard. Well, I want a great marriage, but I'm telling you, it takes hard work. And I feel like the longer we're married, the harder work it gets. She's got to put up with me. Parenting is hard. I think there's four boys out there that one day I'm going to have to meet and they're going to ask me to marry my daughters. I'm going to have to kill them. I mean, it's going to be a difficult day. What, what's going to happen? What's their marriage going to be like? I, I worry. That are, they're talking about wars and rumors of wars and recessions and people that are sick. There's people that are hurting. And I'm just like you. You lay there, and if we're not careful, we have a spirit of unbelief. And God says, I want to work through the church. I, I want to see all of Toledo saved. I, I want to see all the four corners of the earth receive the gospel. I want the name of Jesus preached. I want a church that will stand on the word of God. I want to show you my blessings. I, I want to fulfill your needs. I want marriages that stand upon the word of God that are godly marriages. I, I, want, I, want, I want parents that will raise godly young children that will serve the Lord. I want to bless your house. I want to bless your job. I want to bless your finances. But you gotta have faith. Keep the dog say, man, hear that. Have faith. And I believe this grieves the heart of God when his people, they trust him enough for salvation, but they don't trust him to meet their daily needs after salvation. I asked this question this morning how bad do you want the mountains moved? There's a level that we must get to, and it's not easy. Please stay with me, please. I'm bringing us all this to a close. My first couple days in Israel, we went to the Mount of Olives, and what a wonderful, I mean, beautiful experience. We were there on the Mount of Olives and looked over the Mount of Olives and, and saw the, the Temple Mount and, and, and just, I mean, a magnificent sight. I actually said to my wife yesterday, this week a couple times, I can't wait to go back to Israel. I mean, the, the longer I'm away and the more I read, the more I want to go back. It's life-changing. And Jesus was there and he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, he began to plead. Jesus began to weep. Jesus began to pray. He sought God. You see, there was a mountain in front of him. It was called Calvary. He even said, let this cup pass from me. See, I believe that every one of us need to come to this garden experience where we realize, we do we want this mountain moved? Are we going to weep? Are we going to pray? Are we going to seek God? I 
Jesus says, I'm in a situation, Father, and I need you. And you are enough. The Father loved him. The Father's will is enough. And hear me today, you need to realize this, that in your crisis, in your moment, in your place where you need a mountain moved, you need to know that God loves you. And his will is enough. You must come to that place, not my will, but your will be done. Every single one of us have to come to the place in life through tears, through giving it all to God, that not my will, but your will is enough. You see, it's not till we come to that place will we have this faith that's necessary. This isn't for my ambition. This isn't for my pleasure. This isn't for my desires. I seek you and I acknowledge, Father, your will is enough. I'm afraid we don't come to this place any longer. The prosperity gospel preaching has ruined Christianity. We, we, we want a God that just constantly meets our needs. We want a God that constantly fills our bank accounts. We want a God that constantly, constantly blesses us. We, we, we want good. And, and if for any reason something good doesn't come the way we describe good, we get easily offended. Listen to me. In your crisis, God still loves you. Because it's in your crisis is when you run to God. And that's what God desires from us. He desires for us to long for him. He desires for us to seek him. He desires for us to say, your will, your plan, your way is enough, and that's all I desire. Could you imagine a tent full this morning at church like this, full of people that simply said through tears, giving it all to God, your will is enough, and that's what I desire. That's what I long for. God, you can do whatever you want to do in my life. I just want to be found faithful to you. I cast everything into your hands, and I accept your will. Listen, don't despise affliction. Affliction points us to the answer, and that answer is God. I'm guilty of it as well. When everything's going good, it's almost we don't have time for God because things are so good. How many of you like to enjoy good? Isn't it? I mean, just when life is good, I just want to enjoy it. I don't want it to end. I want to bask in this goodness. And I can so easily forget God. But when affliction comes and sorrow comes and grief comes, instead of running from God, do what God desires for you. Run to him and know God. Christ's his ultimate affliction was God's most merciful, gracious, loving action. And it's called the cross. Think about that. I sat there in that garden of Gethsemane there in Jerusalem, outside the walls. I don't know if that was the exact location of where Jesus was, but I'll tell you there was something about it. I sat alone in that garden area and just can't even describe it. You have to be there. Opened up, I had my phone and just read through the passage of Scripture where Jesus was in that garden and the agony that he went through. 
praying so fervently for something that your tears, your sweat, drops of blood. And I don't believe that it was the physical pain necessarily, although there was not a human being that would want to endure that physical pain. Jesus knew that in just a moment, in a matter of time, a sinless God, our sinless Savior, the one that never knew sin, the one, not, the one that never, never, never in, uh, 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 was involved in lust of the flesh or the pride of life, the one that never knew sin, the one that always had since, since before time existed, communion with his heavenly Father. Every sin that you and I have ever committed and will ever commit, he was going to take that, become that sin, and go to the cross. And for the first time and only time, the father was going to turn his back on the son. And he was going to have to suffer separation from God. And that most devastating affliction, the ultimate affliction that Christ was going to go through was God's most merciful, gracious, loving action so that you and I could be redeemed back to him. See, we have to stop looking at affliction like how it feels for me and realize God has a plan. And his plan is always greater, always greater than what we can ever imagine. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. I don't know what mountain you're dealing with today, but have faith in God. I don't know what prayer that you are needing answered today, but don't give up. Have faith in God. Let him work. Trust him. Don't walk away. Don't think that there's another choice, there's another option. Have faith in God. Let him fill you. Let him supply. Let him meet your need. Have faith in God. Father, would you help us today? Have faith in you. Religion can't fill an empty hole that only Jesus can fill. Lust can't fill an empty hole that only Jesus can fill. Addictions can't fill an empty hole that only Jesus can fill. The pleasures of this world, it can't fill the hole that only Jesus can fill. Lord, there's people here today, they need a filling. Lord, there may be some today here that need to be saved. They need to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Holy Spirit of God, move in their heart. May they put their faith and trust in the finished work of the cross. May they believe that you were placed in that grave and you conquered death and you rose again on that third day. May they put their faith and trust in you. May they have faith in God. And Lord, for your children, there's some that are struggling. There's some that are struggling physically. There's some that are struggling emotionally this morning. 
There's some that are lonely. There's some that are hurting. There are some with great mountains. And they need to have faith. You need to have faith that that mountain in their life you will remove. There's some in this room that are facing and battling with turning to something else instead of you. May they turn back to you, God, please. May each of us say that we have faith in God today and we're living it out.